This podcast is sponsored by PNR Publishing. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast to hear about Leland Riken's highly anticipated new book, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year, available now at prpbooks.com. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. We live in a day that's pop a pill to fix any kind of problem, and there's a spiritual aspect to that where counselors and pastors want to try to fix problems before we really understand. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I am your host, Jonathan Master, joined by my friend and co-host, James Dolezal. James, how are you today? I'm happy to say that I'm not angry at this moment, um, given our topic this morning. I'm doing well. Tell yeah. Yeah. Well, just just wait, because there's more to this than you might expect. We are here to talk about anger, but not in the abstract, but rather to talk about a concrete uh, work that was written many centuries ago called The Cure for Unjust Anger. It's been republished under that title, The Cure for Unjust Anger by John Downham. And, and we are here with the the man who's responsible for bringing this uh, to us, he is, uh, his name is Brian Hedges. He's the lead pastor of Redeemer Church in Niles, Michigan. So uh, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. So let's talk about this little work, The Cure for Unjust Anger. How is it that um, you got turned on to this particular project? Well, it was really uh, due to the publishers, Reformation Heritage Books. Uh, so this volume is one of many in their Puritan Treasures for Today series. And I've edited, I think this was the fourth volume that I've edited in this series. And so uh, prior to this, I had picked uh, the various volumes I was interested in. and But they suggested this one to me. And I think someone had come to them knowing the value of this particular book and thought it would be useful. Uh, so they handed it off to me, and I read it, and I uh, did the editing and found it very, very useful. It is very useful, and in particular, I found it useful because of the way in which Downham sort of diagnoses what's behind anger. So I think that we often might look at our lives and either, you know, depending on what what sins we're struggling with, we might either say, you know, I don't really fly off the handle too often, or maybe I do, but he goes much deeper than just those moments of flying off the handle. I, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on that for, for our listeners, because to me, that was one of the more helpful things about the book. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is just true among all the Puritans. They understood that right diagnosis always precedes cure. And so they tended to work uh, from symptoms and then digging deeper into what's the, the basic underlying root cause and then get to the cure. And I think that's so important. You know, we live in a day that's kind of a pop a pill to uh, fix any kind of problem. And there's, there's a spiritual aspect to that where um, counselors and pastors, I mean, all of us can be guilty of this. We want to try to fix problems before we really understand so Downham does dig uh, deeply into the very nature of anger, including what he causes the internal and the external causes of unjust anger. And he lists a number of those things like self-love and pride and covetousness and 
there's a number, there's a chapter on the internal causes, and he just digs into those and show how these underlying sin problems, these underlying motivations of the heart are what give rise to the expressions of unjust anger in our lives. Yeah, oftentimes people, when they talk about their anger, talk about external factors, and he goes straight for your own heart. If you're expressing anger, if you're struggling with anger, here are the root causes in your heart, regardless of the external circumstances. That's right. Yeah, he goes, he goes to the heart, and he doesn't ignore the external. There's a, there's a whole chapter on that as well. And one of the things I appreciate about Downham's work is that he understands the complexity. Uh, so when he gets into definition, he even shows that anger really arises from both the soul and the body. Uh, and he understands that there's this body-mind connection that what happens to us externally can affect what's going on internally. But he never loses sight of the heart and how it's a diseased and sinful heart that needs the cure of God's grace in order to really deal with anger. Uh, but he approaches that in a very practical way. Um, and along the way, he is also addressing some of those external factors uh, that can make anger so difficult to deal with. Brian, I was thinking early in the book how Downham sets off unjust anger from just anger. So it's not just the right. cure for anger, uh, but it's unjust. Um, he even considers interestingly, some of the objections to just anger. So is anger ever justified? Um, and what makes justified anger different from unjustified? Yeah, that's a great question. And so Downham grounds his thinking, especially in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. And so uh, he derives from that verse, I think, a, a truth from Scripture that there is such a thing as just or righteous anger. And this is how he defines uh, righteous anger. He says, anger is just and righteous when it is occasioned by a just cause, is expressed in a godly manner, is fixed on the proper object, endures for the appropriate time, and is directed towards holy ends. And of course, he breaks down each one of those things. So uh, the just cause, what would be a just cause for anger? Well, the glory of God or the unjust treatment of other people. And he looks at both the unjust treatment that someone may receive themselves or unjust injury of others, uh, which is to say that there are things in the world that should make us angry. Uh, but even when we have just cause for anger, it has to be handled in the right way. So he talks about godly manner. So that that includes moderation. So our our anger should never be immoderate. It includes humility. It includes love uh, for other people. And it always involves showing people proper dignity and respect. So those kinds of boundaries that he places on anger helps, I think, distinguish the just from the unjust and shows that there is a way to appropriately express anger uh, when it's directed towards injustice and towards sin. Right. In his chapter on unjust anger, talking about external offenses, I think it, it gets um, challenging because I think most unjust anger, I think even of my own, um, is uh, somehow in my mind, I rationalize it. And he, right. I, I thought it was interesting that he, he picks apart the ways in which we do this. And he even, he lists things like um, 
the virtuous actions of others. Um, I'm, I'm angry because my neighbor is better than I. Um, but then he even says imaginary offenses and small offenses. And it's those imaginary and small offenses that I, that I try to blow up into great um, and important issues to justify my anger. And I wonder if you could comment just on, on how he's so skillful and subtle at sort of pointing out all the different ways in which unjust anger might be provoked or, or rise up within us. I wonder if you could comment on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the deceptive things about anger is that whenever you feel it, you are feeling an emotion and emotions have a way of kind of blowing smoke into our eyes where we're just not seeing clearly. And uh, Downham shows that uh, we do tend to do that when it comes to unjust anger. And it, uh, he even says that we are prone to invent causes for anger where none truly exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can think of circumstances in my, you know, my own experience, especially with my family when you know, maybe I've been in an irritable mood or maybe something else is bothering me. And so it's made me grumpy or quick to anger or whatever. And then an argument ensues. And in order to justify it in the moment, you know, I'm almost kind of making mountains out of molehills, you know, Um, and probably all of us do that. Uh, This is a convicting book to read. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, he cuts right to the chase. It just shows that uh, that we tend to rationalize our behavior and do that uh, when our anger is not justified. Brian, it is a convicting book to read. I I found it that way as well. And particularly when he talked about removing the causes of unjust anger and, and he lists some causes that are, you know, somewhat obvious, I suppose, uh, pride or self-love. It's obvious that that could lead to anger. At least by the time you reach this point in the book, it's obvious that that it could lead to anger. But, but then when he gets into some of the others, I was really struck by, Things like vain curiosity and listening to talebearers, obviously a little, not, not exactly the way we'd put it today, but basically listening to what other people say is said about you. And then, and then lack of meditation. I thought th- those are just very astute observations that he is a, he, you mentioned it earlier, but he really is a physician of the soul in those ways. And were there particular causes or roots of anger that, that, jumped out at you in that way and made you say, I hadn't thought of that as being at the root of what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, your observations, I think are right. Um, He's covering like all of the different factors that can lead to anger. Um, I think one, and this is one that actually needed a little bit of translation because of the language he used in the 17th century. Uh, So the word that I gave is fastidiousness. Yes. He talked about luxurious niceness. Uh, and of course, when we hear the word luxurious, we're thinking of a luxury cruise or you hear niceness, you're thinking of being kind. And that's not what he had in mind at all. He had in mind the person who is overly particular about little things. And so, you know, you might think about wanting your house or your area, you know, in your house to be kept a certain way. And when that's, everything's not in its proper place, you start to get irritated. And he's pointing out that that kind of fastidiousness, I think is the best word for it today, that that leads to uh, sinful anger, to unjust anger. And it's an over-concern with external things, with temporary things, 
with little things. And then, you know, he also says lack of meditation concerning human infirmities uh, leads to it. So it, it's, it's a lack of, I think a lack of awareness and a lack of um, consideration of, of just people, you know, and other people. Uh, often it's a lack of empathy on our parts uh, that can lead us to, to be angry. So, you know, all of those things I think are so helpful in, in helping us kind of hold up a mirror before our, ourselves to see why do we tend to behave this way. Yeah, that a fastidiousness was so interesting. And then, of course, that example he gave where he said, Adam and Eve just had skins covering them. So don't be concerned about every wrinkle in your clothing and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just a, it's a very astute observation. Um, would, would you put this book in the hands of, uh, of anyone? In other words, in your estimation, is this something that uh, if so, someone came to you, to your study and said, I, I, I'm struggling with anger, I, I, I've lost my temper with my family way too many times, is this the place to start? I think it's certainly a place that one could start. It's not the only book out there on anger, of course, and uh, there are some other good ones uh, to recommend. But among the Puritans, it's probably the starting place if you wanted to use a Puritan book. And perhaps one way I would use it would be to give sections of a book to someone. Obviously, it would just depend on the counseling situation and whether you're counseling someone who's a reader or a non-reader, uh, you know, what their comfort level would be. So even though this is a modernized book, it's still, it's still a Puritan book and uh, they write a little bit differently than contemporary authors do. I think it's valuable and useful. I think in particular, this, this would maybe be the main recommendation I would make for it. I think it would really help pastors and counselors to read this book because it will equip them with a conceptual framework for how to address this problem in counseling. And then you could utilize uh, the material in the book or the book itself in a number of different ways. I think that's exactly right. For pastors or for others engaged in counseling, it's so tempting to want to deal with the presenting problem and to, you know, in some way paper over it or maybe shave off some of the rough edges of it without getting to the root causes. And, and right. Downham doesn't allow you to think about this topic without getting down to the root issues of, of the heart. That's right. And, you know, so one of the things I appreciate about Downham is that he, he addresses those root issues and he points us to the only real solution, which is God's grace given to us in Christ and that applied to our hearts by the Spirit. I think that's so important. And I think any pastor, any counselor has to do that. I also just kind of want to make the counterbalancing point that Downham, because he is so practical, he also gives some very practical suggestions about how to restrain anger. And it's even things as simple as try to go one whole day without expressing anger. And I know, as you probably know, when, when you're counseling someone who's actually in the grip of this vice of this sin, sometimes you've got to make some practical headway just to get clear up some space for being able to discern the deeper problems and to, to really get under the surface. And that takes time, especially, you know, think of a marriage relationship where you've got a couple that's in conflict with each other. They're butting heads all the time. I mean, uh, you know, the, it's tense in their home and their environment. 
I think counselors need to have practical solutions that just help them get some peace so that they can then start digging deeper. And Downham is good because he gives you both of those things. He operates really on both fronts. He, he talks about the external causes and how to restrain and refrain from some of those external factors that lead to anger. And he digs deeper into uh, the deeper root causes and addresses those uh, with, with scripture and ultimately with the gospel. One final question that I have relates to his remedies when you're facing someone else who is angry. So most of the book is devoted to looking at one's own self, one's own heart in the struggle against anger. The, The last part is dealing with someone else who is in the grip of this sin and is essentially taking it out on you. Right. I wondered if you could comment on his advice. It's not advice that we hear very often today, but he's fairly emphatic. The first thing he says is be silent, then answer softly and gently admonish. So it's not as if nothing is ever allowed to be said, but the emphasis really is on, we might say, you know, turning down the temperature by right. not responding in kind and, and perhaps not responding at all. We live in a time where if someone were to say, I'm not going to respond, that can be often seen as a sign of weakness or as ignoring the situation. But that's that's where he starts. And even when he talks about admonishment, it's it's admonished gently. Yeah. Well, I mean, Downham is just following scripture, isn't he? Because Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Uh, So essentially, he's just applying scripture here, you know, the scriptural principles. And and I think about passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and how love responds to circumstances, is not easily angered, is not irritable and so on. Or James chapter 3 and the, the description of the wisdom that is from above that is peaceable and, uh, you know, it's humble and meek and so on. So I think uh, Jane, um, Downham is just applying uh, those basic principles. And he, you know, he uses the analogy that I think is helpful, that as fire cannot long continue without wood, so anger cannot long endure when words and cross answers are not multiplied. I mean, that's just great wisdom. And, you know, so often, again, just to go back to uh, marriage in particular, where I've done probably more counseling than anything else. Um, a lot of times you're just trying to work with couples in training them not to keep making the problem worse by wrong responses, uh, but instead try what a psychologist would call a repair attempt, you know, where you're in, instead of responding to this bitter, angry, or hurtful thing that was just said, don't say anything, but reach over and hold your spouse's hand and just, you know, reconnect, um, in a a loving and kind way. And it can turn the whole course of an argument and lead to, to restoration and to reconciliation. And so that's what Downham I think is counseling people to do. Brian, we appreciate your time with us today and so appreciate your work in editing this for our reading and distribution. It's the title is the cure for unjust anger by John Downham. It's published by our friends at Reformation heritage books. And so Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. James, one of the things that struck me about that conversation was how timely it was. I know that Brian was working on this project 
at least a year ago. But every year, it seems like people become increasingly enamored with outrage so that outrage uh, is not something to be avoided. It's something to be embraced. And in fact, it's sort of the driving force in our cultural discourse. You go on social media, you turn on the news, you read the newspaper. It's an outrage culture that we live in. It's almost as if anger is now a virtue and righteous anger can be, but I think righteous anger is much more rare than angry people tend to think it is. And I, I'll, I'll speak for myself, first of all. but. Um, but broadly, um, if you're not demonstrably angry, um, and angry in ways that Downham actually warns against, not angry against sin, but he even warns against being angry against persons unjustly um, and not being able to sort of separate those things. Um, anger at people is now broadly in our culture a kind of virtue. So that at the end, you, uh, you and Brian were talking about the counsel that Downham gives, uh, first of all, to be silent. Mm-hmm. But now we're actually being told that silence is, can be unvirtuous. If you don't join me in my expressions of unbridled rage, you yourself are now guilty of violence. You know, the, the silence is violence uh, mantra that we, that we hear um, and it seems like so much of what this book would counsel us to do is cutting explicitly against the grain of, as you've called it, out, outrage culture or just sort of incessant vitriol. Yeah. And I think, I think even for the Christian who's just weary of this, to be offended uh, by injustice uh, and to speak out against it is a good and right thing. But there's, that should be done clearly, but there's a way to do that that's godly, and there's a way to do that that's ungodly, and that lets your heart be be overcome with hatred for men. Yeah, this is the interesting thing that struck me. He he starts with righteous anger and talks about the fact that it's not only allowed, it's it's required in some cases, it's commanded in some cases. Right. Righteous anger in and of itself, although I agree with you, it's often more unrighteous than we, you know, we, we tend to excuse our own anger. We, that's part of, that's the burden of the book. But, but one of the tests I think that you can give uh, about righteous anger, one of the guidelines he gives is he said, it must be expressed in a godly manner, which includes using moderation, observing humility and love and showing dignity and respect. And the point he's trying to make is even, even anger in a righteous cause, even anger that is rightly proportion, if, if those things are not present, then you really need to read the rest of the book, which is, which is on un, un, unjust anger. And so I found this very convicting um, also because uh, it, since it gets to the roots, it shows you, I think, by the end, listen, even if you don't have a temper uh, that's really explosive, you, you still struggle with these underlying uh, sins. And that's immensely valuable, I think. Right. And it, it really is pride and covetousness and yeah. so many other sins that we don't immediately associate with anger, but that really are the, um, the basis that is needed, so to speak, for unjust anger to take root. And these, so, the, so there's, a way, there's a way to attack the problem of anger, which doesn't look like um, stopping your outrage. It also it also looks like guarding your heart with regard to 
with regard to pride, envy, covetousness, all the other things that are sort of our, our vulnerabilities toward anger or unjust anger. Yeah, I think that's well put. Even at its best, anger is a, is a sort of dangerous thing to play with. Even if it's initially righteous, it can get it can get out of hand. So, well, we would like to put this book in uh, listeners' hands. And if you'd like to register to win a copy, you can go to the Theology on the Go page on Place for Truth and click on the link. And there'll be an opportunity there for you to register to win this, The Cure for Unjust Anger. If you don't win a copy, I'd encourage uh, our listeners to buy it. It's, it's very short. It's uh, 126 pages. It's a small little paperback and very readable and extremely convicting. So would highly commend it to our listeners. And we're grateful for all of you listeners. If you know anyone else who'd be helped by the show, please feel free to pass along the links. If you'd like to donate, or if you're able to donate, you can go to alliancenet.org or go to placefortruth.org. Both of those sites have a donate button. And we, as always, want to thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. For generations, Christians have celebrated holidays and seasons with special songs. Prolific author and professor Leland Riken invites you to slow down and savor the well-turned phrases of your favorite hymns in his new book, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year. Now available from PNR Publishing, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year is a wonderfully devotional and poetic study featuring memorable hymns for the New Year, Good Friday, Easter, and Christmas. As an English professor, Leland provides historical background and literary analysis for each hymn, finishing each with a scripture reading. 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year from PNR Publishing, your source for Christian books that provide clear, engaging, fresh, and insightful applications of Reformed theology to real life. Visit prpbooks.com.